Today's reading is from Revelation 21, and if you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1041. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all lies, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven balls full of the seven pl last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold, to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city 
were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thanks, Jason. The imagery here in Revelation 21 is breathtaking, isn't it? And, and mind-boggling, too, at the same time, and, and in a way that shows us just how little we understand words like pure and perfect. This is pure and perfect. Twelve twelves running through there, I think, the, the number of perfection uh, symbolising unity and completion. Twelve gates to the city, verse 12 says. Twelve angels at those gates. Twelve tribes. Twelve foundations. Twelve apostles. Twelve thousand stadia, four square for the city itself. Uh, twelve twelves to the height of its wall. Twelve precious stones, uh, twelve gates mentioned again to say that they are twelve pearls. And down a little bit further from our reading, uh, if you take a peek down into chapter 22, uh, twelve kinds of fruit from the tree of life, one for each month it seems, for the healing of the nations. And together with that uh, completeness and, and perfection, of course, comes the sheer purity of all these things. I mean, it's an enormous city, but made of gold, verse 18. And the, the huge walls around this city are like jasper, verse 11, like a rare jewel, it says, radiant in glory. Even the foundations of that wall, verse 19, adorned with all those precious jewels. And even the streets of the city, verse 21, made of pure gold. And all of it filled with the glory of God, verse 11. And again, verse 23. And that pure and perfect and glorious city is you. Plural you, I mean. This great city is the church. 
It says in verse 2 and again in verse 9, this is the bride of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem, verse 2, which God has marked out, it seems, verse 14, by the 12 apostles whom Jesus sent and, and by what he paved the way for, verse 12, through the 12 tribes of Israel. See it there in verse 9. This is you, the church. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This beautiful and radiant and and pure and perfect city described here is you. Jesus' church. You who have heard the gospel of truth, repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus and are now being prepared for him as a bride is made ready for her groom. Lord willing, we'll come back and, and think a little bit more on that later in the series, the church and the glory that awaits us. Today I actually want to lean from that second part of the chapter in Revelation 21 back into the first part of the text in verses 1 through 8 and particularly, I guess, to really home in on verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Uh, Stepping on from uh, page one of scripture where we were last week and and the beauty of creation we were thinking through in Genesis 1, I thought we might flick to the other end of scripture today, to the back, to see how the story all ends. And what we see here in what we've just read, uh, 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 as to what God has revealed to the Apostle John here, as to to what will come at the end, well... it's a little bit confusing in light of last week and, and even disturbing, in fact, something that might throw up a lot of questions in our minds because that beautiful creation we were just contemplating last week will somehow, in some way, all one day come to an end. It will all pass away, verse 1 of our text today says. In the beginning, Genesis 1 Last week, God created the heavens and the earth. And now Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And it's part and parcel with that beautiful and perfect church being adorned as a bride for the Lamb that we were just thinking about at the end of the chapter. Uh, Well, part and parcel with that truth comes this other truth first. Everything has to be remade new. God says so in verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And the genre here uh, in Revelation may well be figurative, but the same underlying truth is told elsewhere in Scripture too. Uh, For example, God had said long ago through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, 
and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Through the Apostle Peter too, we read in in 2 Peter chapter 3, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And Peter goes on, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And again, Peter says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that creation is suffering, suffering, groaning uh, as in with pains of childbirth, waiting to be set free. Here back in Revelation 21, it seems that 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 is somehow necessary for the other part of all of this to come true, the, the, the beautiful, glorious church part of this, that God should be with his people dwelling with them so that they can enjoy his glory. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And that picture of what's to come gets even more intimate, catching the sense, I think, of of what that'll be like for us to live with God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How beautiful and precious is that picture. How close and personal God desires this relationship to be. He himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's a connection there, isn't there, between those two things. The very creation uh, we live in now carries with it These things like death and sorrow and mourning and pain. But so too, of course, these things are carried through you and I. He has to make everything new so that all those things can become untrue. And so he will, as he says in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. It will be done. It will be done. And I guess it has to be done through new creation because every hint of sin and and everyone who won't let go of sin must be removed from this glorious picture. 
No trace of sin will be able to enter into what God is going to make new for his people to enjoy with him. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So we must notice that this uh, beautiful recreation will be for the joy of God's people, those who let go of their sin and, and instead desire him because of nothing, of nothing of sin can come into the new creation. Uh, verse 8 makes that very clear. But as for the cowardly, the, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So too, if you drop right back down to see at the bottom of that beautiful city in verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, to take this picture and try to put it all in some kind of short form, the whole created order that we sit here and know, in some way, it seems, will one day pass away. God will create a new creation that, that only his people, purified, of course, will enjoy which ought to put a bit of a shiver down our spine if we have any kind of sense of our own sin and the impurity that runs in us. When we think about the next life, we probably take a pretty personalised view. We might think about standing before God uh, for judgment, say, and then, and then our own personal fate at the end of that. And it's vital that we do think about it like so, from such a personal point of view. Of course, we have to. We are all fallen well short of this glorious picture, my friends, without a doubt, surely. We'll come back to that in a minute, though, and maybe more so next week, because we can't really get a good personal take on this if we don't first understand this, this, this cosmic kind of view that's on show here in Revelation 21 and in other scriptures like this. Because the whole creation is going to have to be renewed. The whole creation is somehow marred by what humanity did and still does in our fall. That's not a very pleasant thought when you think it through, that, that creation itself is suffering and, and will suffer for our sin. Unpleasant it may be, it's written into scripture. We actually touched into that in our series a while back on, on covenant. We thought through the flood in the time of Noah. It's there, isn't it, that truth? Uh, so too we, we thought about it again when we looked at the minor prophet Zephaniah. Everything will be wiped away because the sinfulness of humanity is so offensive to God that we have tainted all creation too. Not least by making idols out of all those things that we saw last week God created in Genesis 1. 
prophet Zephaniah uh, put us onto that, if you recall. So too uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans. He says, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And we do it with everything. We commit idolatry against God by serving and pursuing and giving our lives to created things. And so a great cosmic purification is needed and it is coming and it will put an end to every shadow of our sin. We need that point of reference in in our framework, so to speak, is how we try to understand God's word. This is what's needed and this is how everything will end. And in in a new way, this is how everything will begin. God is going to make all things new. It's written into scripture and so we must take on this truth. Without it, we won't catch the the scale and scope of Scripture, of course. This is where it ends. But there's a few ways uh, in the middle as we track through and in our lives as we track through, a few ways in which our thinking might actually fall down if we don't have this truth. Uh, For one thing, without this truth here of the new heavens and the new earth to come, we might find that our focus is, is kind of just a bit blurred, uh, both for our lives here and now and, and our destiny yet to come. Uh, we might live a narrower or, or more self-focused kind of life than, than we should. So too we might fail to truly grasp the, the scope and the scale of the problem of our sin against God. We might think that our sin only touches us. It doesn't affect any, anyone or anything else. And so we might only repent of it in a, in a very shallow kind of way or, or perhaps not even repent of it at all. And three, I think our sense of urgency and priority might fall away in terms of proclaiming God's word of salvation and renewal to a world that desperately, therefore, needs to hear of that hope. And saying it again too, of course, to our brothers and sisters in the church who need to keep hearing this most glorious and most encouraging truth. Through all of it, of course, we might just miss. We just miss the cosmic thing that God has always been working to in this creation that he created first. We might miss that he created this present heavens and earth towards this greater end. We do tend to think only in terms of our own uh, personal destiny or, or maybe the fate of our loved ones who've passed away. And, and yes, there is heaven uh, for all of God's people and, and all who come to God should look forward to that glorious truth. On the day they die, Jesus' people will be with him in paradise. He said that to the man on the cross beside him, Luke twenty three forty three. But even that great truth, it can't be the final pole in in our framework of trying to understand these things of God because for you or I or or our loved ones to to, to go to heaven and be with Jesus when we die, it doesn't resolve the rest of the outfall of our sin. The the unrighteousness that, that keeps running through time and space, it all has to be brought to an end 
cosmic end to all sin and to all sinful beings who refuse and refuse to turn to God. It must come in the end, both for those in the heavenly realms, fallen angels and devils and demons, and in the earthly realm too, fallen people who will not repent. A whole new creation is coming for God's people where there will be no unrighteousness anymore at all. In fact, God insists that we take this truth here on, this truth of recreation, and and have it front and centre in our minds, I think. Uh, Take another peek into chapter 22, and uh, if your Bibles are still there. uh, And three times notice that Jesus says... In chapter 22 and verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Again in verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. And in verse 20, yet again, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, we are to say. We must live with this hope clear in our minds. There is going to be a new creation where only what is holy and pure can enter in. And it will be for us, God's people, uh, which means we must be purified and made clean too. So when we do take on this great glorious truth here, it's going to change our lives even now. If nothing else, it will check our stride. Because seriously, friends, who of us can sit here and and really hope to enter into something so pure? Not one of us. Not one of us, to be sure, in and of ourselves. That's the whole reason this new creation is needed. But in the Gospel of Jesus, in between these two great bookends, we are granted two great privileges towards this great truth. First, that we may be covered. We may be covered to go in with the righteousness, the pure and perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We may be covered and we may go in. Take a look again in chapter 22, down in verse 14, if you would. It says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. We have to wash our robes to be pure enough to go in. But what does that mean? In another picture of all this, back in chapter 7, the Apostle John was told what that means, to wash our robes. It's in Revelation chapter 7, if you'd like to flick it up. Otherwise, I'll read a little bit to you. Revelation chapter 7, the Apostle John has seen another vision of all God's people gathered around his throne. And then we read this in chapter 7 and verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, 
Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, why for? Because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the same picture we're looking at today in chapter 21 and 22 at the end. The people in this glorious city dwelling with God are those who have washed their robes. How? In the blood of the Lamb. In the blood of the Lamb. This is the gospel of salvation in Jesus, friends. We are impure. Hence why this new creation is needed. And yet we can be counted as pure, covered as pure by the blood of Jesus. He died to pay for the unrighteousness of of, of all who repent and come to him for forgiveness. They will wash their robes in what Christ has done and they will go in. Blessed are they, chapter 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they. At the same time as this glorious truth of salvation, this picture here of the new creation is not just something we sort of look forward to on that great and final day when we go in and when God makes all things new because God has already begun this great renewal. Even now, God has already begun this. That uh, gospel of being counted as pure on account of Jesus' blood, it takes hold of us immediately when we repent and trust in him. This is the gospel of how we are saved, how our robes are washed. And it comes to us as soon as we receive it. The gospel, repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. But when that sinks in, we also start to realise a second thing is now suddenly at work inside us, alongside that truth. The Holy Spirit is sent to us. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. The Holy Spirit begins reshaping us, renewing us as we more and more listen and learn to follow Jesus as our Lord. The new creation has already begun. The Apostle Paul captures this when he he explains in places like 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And yet, a whole new identity, a whole new covering of Christ's righteousness is ours from day one, but 
being made new at the same time. Counted new, but being made new as we more and more learn to follow Jesus. Counted as if we are already new on account of the blood of Jesus Christ, but being made new too by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And on that final day, we will finally be made new, pure and righteous and without any hint or shadow of our sin. And we can look forward to that if we have come to Christ and we can feel God renewing us even now because he is doing that towards this end. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But this picture here is our end in Jesus. These two things, by the way, are called justification, counted as if we are pure right now and forever by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for our sin, and sanctification, being made new now more and more by the work of the Spirit in our lives. The order of those two things is vital to understand, but both things are true. We will enter into that city by the justification that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation makes that truth clear. Our robes are washed white because of the blood of the Lamb. But in that truth, we are also brought into this sanctification process, being made more and more holy. And it begins right now from when we first come into this faith. The Spirit will come and the Spirit will renew us more and more as we wait for this glorious day. God is, after all, making all things new and, of course so, his church. We are the bride. If our heart truly wants to be free of our sin, then we must repent and trust in Jesus. And then all these good things in this scripture we are looking at he will give us, because this is precisely what God is doing. This is how it will end. So uh, we have to bring this truth here into our framework, as we call it, if, if we want to make sense of anything, actually, in the middle here of God's word. And I guess the question that this part asks of me is, is something like, am I living for this? Am I living my life for this? Hear the gospel of the new creation that Jesus proclaims today. Indeed, that the whole revelation of Scripture pursues. Hear it as a sweet invitation if you haven't yet received this of God, and, and hear its certainty for all you who have. This is exactly what God is going to do for his precious church. So in chapter 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Plenty to think about here at the end of God's word. 
to factor into our framework. We best pray. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for your word to us in scripture. And we thank you again today, the privilege it is to open up and reflect on what you have shown us. Uh, We thank you for this glorious picture at the end, one that we can't even really comprehend, but there it is. We pray, Father, that as we go away today, you would take this picture, you would set it in our hearts, put it centrally in our minds as we go away today, Father. Uh, Let this picture here, let your word here bring conviction to us so that we truly do repent and come to Jesus, and then let it bring comfort too, that as we see your spirit at work in us, and we see you reshaping us and and making our hearts new, we would therefore know that your good hand is with us, and forever so. And in Jesus' name, may he come for his people. Amen, we say. And amen.